Blog Talk Radio. start this pretty quickly because we've got a really big show going on. Um, these are one of those shows that we that I have absolutely no control over, and one one part of it is my emotions, and the other part is Keith um, booked a couple of guests. As you guys have heard through many of this, I, there's usually one month, one episode a month I give Keith complete control, and then he does a lot of the booking for the sh- for the show. We have coming up in 15 minutes, Samantha Johnson from the Chicago Red Stars. And we have coming up finally at 7.30, Carly Lloyd of the U.S. women's team. And I'm going to sit back and, ha- and allow have Keith have the whole whole segment with um, Carly Lloyd on this one. Because I, I, think I, I think I completely lost all the question, questions for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and it's funny, too. We, we timed this very well because Chicago and Western New York play each other this weekend. So we're, we're, we're yeah. giving equal time to both teams on, on that one. But uh, first of all, you mentioned uh, both in the postman and also about the, the footballing media. I want to point out something. Uh, Franz Beckenbauer, Dirk Heiser, uh, was talking uh, to, to uh, Sky Sports uh, during the uh, – following the first uh, – the first leg of the Champions League quarterfinal day that Bayern Munich played against Manchester United. And he said, and I'm quoting here, I think that Sir Alex Ferguson got on the right train and left at the right time. Now, my memory's a little fuzzy on this, but I vaguely recall back in, earlier this year, even go, maybe even going back to December, certainly in January, somebody on this a show brought up that same point. Uh, Steve, if you can refresh my memory, you know the shows better than I do because you got it. You can go through them all, I think. But I could have sworn somebody said something very similar on this show about David Moore, about uh, Sir Alex Ferguson knowing when to leave. Oh, boy, I'm dropping up since I, I said it. I said it first. <laughs> I was ahead of Franz Beckenbauer, and I'm going to brag on it, okay? <laughs> I, I, I would ex- I would expect you, I would expect you to on that, and I, I have absolutely no issue with that. Um, part of the reason why the I'm the, the, the other thing with the, with the football media, I'm, I want to get this out of the way first before you get your rant. Because one of the things we're going to talk about is is this, the, the 25th anniversary of the Hillsborough disaster uh, for Liverpool with the 96 people who were uh, who were killed in that uh, in that tragedy, and. You mentioned with the football and media, and I find it interesting. Of course, tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, ESPN is doing their first 30 for 30 movie soccer stories on that that uh, event, not just the event itself, but everything that followed afterwards. And um, I find it rather interesting that I know ESPN has done a very good job with you know, covering the World Cup. They've done some different interesting stories, but it, but it was always in the context of their World Cup coverage. It really wasn't done. No, they did stuff like a, a, a few different pieces and different historical events in the game. But I find it interesting. I see this kind of, in a way, I see this as a regression for, for people who don't realize that you know, soccer, the media, the sports media here in the 1980s up through the 1994 World Cup were very much anti-soccer, bashed the game at every turn, and it was only tragedies like this 
that ever got any big attention here in this country. Now, admittedly, we found out later the circumstances for this were different than Hazel Stadium in 1985 before the European Cup final, or as many of the others, which are just pure out-and-out hooliganism. This wasn't even though it was painted as such originally, and we'll get to that part later. But why, if you're going to do your first move, now admittedly, I know ESPN's out of the World Cup after this year, I realize that. But if you're going to do some soccer movies, it's very serious, why is this first? To me, there are other stories that they've done they could have expounded on, whether it be football's role uh, at Robben Island in South Africa, how they formed this league, uh, a football league at Robben Island, all the political prisoners like Nelson Mandela and all the others. And this league, in effect, became the beta version of what became the South African Constitution after apartheid was finally abolished. Or the, 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 the death matches involving Dinamo Kiev during World War II, where Dinamo Kiev players were gathered together, even though they were serving in the war, to play matches against the German, against the Soviets who were occupying Ukraine at that time. And many of those players ended up, ended up dying later on because, as a result of these matches. This was kind of a, a loose basis for the film Escape to Victory. Why, or, or even more recent times, what happened in, uh, in Cote d'Ivoire when they qualified for the 2006 World Cup and how that brought about an end to a brutal civil war in that country. Well, here's a story that needs to be told, especially now that we know the truth about what happened. It, it's a story that does need to be told, and I'm glad it's to be told, but I just... I find it a little unseemly that it's the first one when there are others I think that could have that deserved to be the first one uh, out of the box for this series. Well, well, you, you can't really go, you can't really say what, what their schedule was. I mean, you have to. You have to no, we don't know how that one is coming. You have the unique situation here that you have a net. You have an. You have. You have a time on it. I mean, it's not like this is the 24th anniversary. We're 25 years out right now sure, of sure, first I world. So I mean, you kind of, you kind of couldn't miss that mark on that. I mean, I, I see it. There's, well, why couldn't they, they could, it earlier before this? Why could you know that's you know just like I said, I'm, this I'm not disagreeing with you, and I, I think they yeah. could do more. I think they could yeah. do a hell of a lot more. I, the and there's a there's a list out there of stuff that they are doing, and one of them is the um, the Northern Ireland one, which I think is going to be freaking fascinating. I've read about it, but you and I come at that from a different level, and I'm not going to get into politics on that because I'll hang up. I will hang up the phone. You won't on that one. Um, well, that that there's a there's something, and I'm going to come back to this after one of our interviews or do a special. Uh, spe- special edition of the show about footballing media. Um, I am really beginning to get annoyed with soccer media. One of them was, and Keith brought this up, and I, I got a little bit of flack from the national soccer media for bringing up the whole Judah Freelander stuff. I have never found him that funny. I know from behind the scenes to people I've talked about that he is actually a very big soccer fan, that he actually knows the sport better than some commentators do. Okay, that's all well and good, but here's one other person. If you wanted to put someone on there that actually knew the sport, that's kind of a big game, go go into Hollywood 
there are people there that actually know the sport. I mean, Tom Cruise kind of does, and it's, it's well known that he is a soccer fan. But I'm not saying go that far. There is a, I'm going to make myself look a little bit young on this. Julie Benz, she's a former actress on, on Dexter, is a huge soccer fan. And it's not she's a soccer fan because of her husband. She actually flies to London for games. Now, she's an actress that has lots of money. She could do it. She flies to games. You could have had her on there. We could have had another blonde, hot, young thing. So that what Fox well, see, did this po- week. My point in all this, my point in all this, I'm sorry for interrupting, my point in all this, and this is kind of going to tie with something I'm hoping to ask Samantha when she comes on. There is this perception, and we've talked about on the show before, that Fox just doesn't take the game that seriously. You know, for whatever reason, it's, it's out there. And you know, I'm trying to be careful here because of what I say, but... But when you do this sort of thing, when you take, the, again, this is part of one of my great pet peeves of life. Sports are not entertainment. I think they have been transformed entertainment into entertainment. The transformation has been going on probably since about the time I was born, if not, early, if not earlier. But this is not the kind of thing I want to see. It's, you know, you, especially from a network that, A, is taking all, is coming back into doing MLS, number one. Number two, next year starts getting the World Cup and gets every World Cup from starting next year in Canada through 2022 in, I'm as of right now, still Qatar. That's, that still might be subject to change. But with what NBC has done, NBC has raised the bar. And I'm not just talking about the Premier League. I'm talking about MLS. Their MLS ratings this year so far are almost double what they were at this time, for this part of the season last year. Okay, it's because they got John Strong. I mean, that, 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 well, the that's, point that's with that hard, is they got John, John Strong. Yeah, that's, that's I, I, I mean, and I you see where you're it. going with I'm this. The, the problem, the problem I had with it, Keith, is a little bit different than you. Is if they wanted to have someone that was funny on there, I know of about three people that live in LA that do soccer better, extremely funny. Go throw money at Jared Dubois, who's who's a well-known Who soccer pundit. This is foot. This is football. We're not out here to get you. you, you the media outlets aren't supposed to. This really covering the games. They aren't out, supposed to be out there giving a, a, a promo to to their star. So let's say we see this with Fox all the time. With the, when they have the Super Bowl, and the World Series, they got the stars of their shows on there, and they're making sure they get their face time and everything else. This is the, this is not the, you know, again, let's get the entertainment separated from the sport, okay? Do it right, be about the sport, and, and, for, and these comedians, they want space to give them their own show, give them whatever they want, fine, I don't care. But this is not the place to be putting that sort of thing out there, if you ask me. Well, and the other, the other thing I'm having a real issue with, and I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit on this, you guys have heard me all over. I, I, I step onto other podcasts just because I can. Um, I've only really been writing on the sh- uh, writing for about five, six years. Keith has been writing or doing something in the sports since the eighties. I'm probably overestimating you on this. Here's the no, issue right. I have. Here's the issue. With, here's the issue I have with this, and I fight this almost on a daily basis. Keith and I have had this problem. I and I, I'm. I'm singling out one show right now, Soccer Morning. I used to love Jason Davis with a passion. 
there is this thought out here, and I'm going to liken it to the older generation, and Keith, you're not old enough for me to put this in your head. It's the generation older than you that think that it's easy to make money in this. Jason Davis asked for money in December to support himself, and now he's openly begging for money or he's going to lose his show. Ladies and gentlemen, none of us are in here are doing this for the money. I lost my job in November. Now, because, of, because my mom and grandma died two years ago, I am able to support myself without rent. I do not make a damn dime off of this. In fact, I'm, going, I, in fact, I'm actually paying for this show now. When we, when we lost um, Eric Nash, I took over the show and paid for it. Now, don't worry about it. I am not going to sit here and cry for money because I refuse to do that. Um, and it, don't worry, it's, and Keith, don't worry, it's not that much. If you, if you saw how much it was, you, you'd laugh at this. I did. Um, I did. And it's not, it's not that much. It's, it's the, it's the um, basically, guys, to, to do a podcast, folks, people, when they sit here and complain that they don't make money out of it and they're paying for it, it's ri- literally, it's, it's if you stop drinking for a month and a half. Now, I, I, I do drink during the show every now and then, but I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. Um, I, I hate this knowledge that people think that we're out here to make money in this. Now, Keith is in Keith broadcast is, but he has a second job, folks, or a first job if you want to call it that way. I don't make any money off of this. I have never made any money of this, and I, I'm going to play this for someone, including my father. That there's this thought that if you write on the sport, that you can actually make money out of it. There's this thought that if you are if you are doing a podcast, you can make money for it. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not possible anymore. And I'm getting really freaking sick and tired of hearing about this. Folks, it's a pastime. Media bubble has to pop big time, and I'm getting really sick of this. I mean, there's a, there's a lot, and you can also attest to this, Keith, too. There's a lot of really good people in soccer on the team side. I mean, I've, I've forged been fortunate to meet a lot of really good people out there. But if you think, guys, if you think you're to get in this and be able to be independently wealthy, that's not going to happen. And for people who think that you can write and make a lot, there's very few people out there. Maybe the top 1% of people out there are making money. That's probably the Ivis Galarcep, maybe, and I'm trying to think writing-wise, and maybe Ryan Roseblatt are the two of the younger generation that are making anything out of it. But I, I, I tell people if they ask, oh, oh, you're a writer, you're doing it, you're, you're, you're being able to support yourself. No, you're not. I mean, Keith has to have one job, and, and we know this. He's said it on air for three years. He, he wants to be doing this full time. But and, and I'll be honest, he said it too. Guys, 35, Keith is 50, and he's still looking to break into this. Does that show you something? So the people that are going to go online and bash Jason Davis for crying about money, about getting his show, getting paid for this, back up, all right, back up. I don't agree with what he does, but I happen to like the man a lot. I've never met yeah, him, well, and I well, probably this, never this will. The thing is, I wouldn't say it's impossible. I'd say it's very unlikely. You have to, it, it's kind of a right place at the right time thing. Sometimes you have to catch light, it's a lightning in a bottle thing. 
I'm not going to begrudge Jason Davis for trying to raise money. Certainly, we would. It'd be great if we could get a sponsor or two for this. I'd love it. I wouldn't turn it down. And I don't fault Jason Davis, especially in the light of of a Spike Lee, who has been ultra successful as a movie director, going on that site Kickstarter and asking people to donate money for him to do another film. If it's okay for him to do that, I don't have a problem with Jason Davis going on appealing for money. I don't have a problem with it. It's up to the, it's up, yeah, he can appeal all the way. It's up to people to decide whether he's worth it or not. It's a, it's a supply and demand thing. It's just the same thing if you're doing a podcast, writing on blogs, whatever the case may be. If you can find a way, if you can become well-read enough or well-listened to enough and popular where people will pay you for it, hey, great, we're power to you. That's the way capitalism is supposed to work. I wouldn't bet too much of anything I value on it happening necessarily, but the media is changing. It really is. This is you know, this stuff, especially for sports that aren't that are below the big four in, on this continent anyway. You know, I'm sure. I'm sure. Look at lacrosse. Lacrosse is a big, growing sport in terms of its participation. I'm sure, and, and you know, and I see you know, major league lacrosse is kind of in that late '60s to mid '70s North American soccer league period where. They're looking to become bigger time. The problem is there's no Pelé in lacrosse, and lacrosse is primarily a North American thing as opposed to soccer, which is worldwide. But I'm going to have I'm to interrupt sure. you again, Keith. I'm yes, going to have to interrupt ahead. you Samantha again. Must be there, well, right? Welcome from, from Chicago. Samantha Johnson is on. How, how are you doing? Good. How are you guys? Hello, Great. Samantha. I, I, thank I, you very much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Believe me, and thank you very much for for uh, allowing me to invite you on and everything. We've been, uh, as as I mentioned, we're with the Women's World Cup coming next year. We're certainly interested in talking more about the the women's game, uh, especially when it pertains to the uh, the NWSL, which of course is now in its second year. Uh, you know, you're playing for Chicago Red Stars. Uh, what what are some of the positives you're seeing uh, so far? Uh, out of the league as as it goes into year two? Um, We're really being proactive. Each team is trying to market themselves, market individually as a player. Like when I got on the team, my GM was telling me, get a Twitter so you can tweet about, you know, everything that the team's doing and promote. Yeah, I I saw that when you got a – yeah, when you signed up, uh, somebody put a tweet up saying, we're going to – Johnson that we've got – we're going to get her on Twitter. Don't worry. (laughs) Make sure we get that at some point in time. (laughs) Yeah, so I think just because the nature of our sport and women's sports, we just kind of have to be a little bit more proactive to create the buzz. Yeah. And speaking of which, one of the things that's going to help uh, with you is your, your home opener will be played in an MLS stadium, which is uh, definitely, in terms of credibility, has, as well as the, the prestige, as you said, the buzz has to be a big boost all the way around. Yeah, most definitely. Like We're really fortunate enough to get that um, type of marketing where we can use and the fire can help us um, market our team a bit better because they have a game, I think, right before us, I believe. So yeah. it's kind of like introducing, you know, their fans to us and kind of just making it like a brother-sister type of thing. Yeah, it's something that I, I'm glad to see happen. I was also very, admittedly surprised, very glad to see uh, with Houston Dynamo coming in and putting a team in NWSL as well. Uh, to me, ideally, a majority of the MLS clubs would have 
a team in the NWSL because this is something we're seeing a lot uh, in England in particular. Um, how if you if there were more MLS clubs getting into uh, putting teams in uh, NWSL or even doing what they're what the Fire did with a little ground share for one game, uh, how much of, how much would that mean uh, to the to the league? It would mean a lot because then we can be associated with the men's side, you know what I mean? And that would in itself create a lot more buzz and kind of like help us promote ourselves because if you have – people are saying, oh, LA Galaxy and whoever, or like Chicago Fire and the Red Stars, then you're already paired with a a brand that's already been made, you know what I mean? So that would help like greatly. Steven, you still there? Yeah, I'm yeah. here. No, Steven, I'm right. not, not used to it. Sorry. Well, obviously, you need to play in Chicago. I mean, what is the, what is the best thing you could say? If you had a pitch coming to play in Chicago, what what would you say to an aspiring athlete or a free agent out there? If, they, if the Red Sox came to you and said, sell Chicago. Um, so I'm from Los Angeles originally. Now, Chicago has been on my list of cities to visit, so I was very fortunate enough to kind of fall into the situation, rather. But for the youngsters, I would just say, like, don't be afraid to leave your hometown and go out and explore, because the sport will take you a lot of places in the country and in the world. So if you're willing, just get after it. You may have come to the Midwest at a bad time, though. This weather is uh, not exactly <laughs> what you used to out in Southern California, is it? <laughs> no, not exactly. I'm waiting on the sunshine. Yeah, beware when that, when that hawk backs in off of Lake Michigan and turns goes the other way. You can see something. I remember my, back, I was talking to my mother the other day but back in the – early 60s, we lived uh, near Midway Airport for about a year or so when I was an infant. My my parents went to a White Sox game in, in June, mind you, temperature like 80 degrees. The hawk comes backing in off Lake Michigan, and it's not that far as the lake from, from Comiskey Park, and the temperature dropped in an hour, dropped like 20 or so twenty or so degrees. <laughs> oh, God. An hour, so, yeah. Yeah, be, be be prepared. This is I, it's, again. These are whether <laughs> you're not you're not used to being from where you are. Right, where I'm from, the weather's pretty consistent. Like the other day here in Chicago, it was like I don't know, high sixties. It was pretty warm, <laughs> and then it snowed yesterday. So I was like, wait, yes. what happened? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's that's one of the hazards of uh, being here. Uh, the 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 inconsistency of the weather now. Obviously, you know, you're coming along at a time where we've seen a lot of changes to women's professional soccer, and I, I imagine for you, you know, you, I imagine you probably watched the 1999 World Cup and all that. What did, for you, was that kind of a moment that made you think, hey, I can do what they're doing, or I want to do what they're doing? No, most definitely. That's because I was super young at that age, but I was still understanding what was what was going on. Like, I was like, wow. You know what I mean? That whole moment was yeah. very inspiring, and it was kind of like, well, they can do it. Why can't I do it, you know? Yeah, because I remember, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to see uh, ESPN's film, The 99ers, uh, that Julie Foudy put together with all, a lot of the, the move video she took during that time. But I remember she, she said something. She, she asked a question. Uh, about 
you know, the, que- the question was this was this a uh, was this a game changing moment for women's sports or was it an anomaly? And I think Michelle Akers, I think, had the right answer in a very strange way. She said yes uh, because it didn't do what we what we wanted to see happen. With, with with women's professional soccer in this country, and of course we've gone through a couple. Of the, you know, we're on version three now of this league. Um, can, I, I don't know if that moment can ever be recaptured, but do you maybe see a day where 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 this league can be at least last long enough to become uh, you know a, I guess a bigger player in in the in the American sports marketplace. Yeah, well, I think that as far as the national team goes, like today, that as players enter the team, like back then, everyone knew each player's name on the starting 11, whereas now we're saying, oh, Abby Wombach and Alex Morgan and Carly Lloyd. Like there's very few. You know, of course, Chrissy Rampone, but there's like not everyone knows who every single player is. And you know what I mean? Like even like the youth, like I'll work camps and be like, oh, do you know Tobin East? Do you know Chrissy Mewis? Like like they're like, oh, who's that? I'm like, you know what I mean? So I think as the sport progresses and the league most definitely will help because we have teams all over across the country that players – will get the recognition. You know, even not non-national team players will get recognition. So I think just as spreading awareness and not just having the national team as a representation for women's soccer, that will help a lot. Yeah, because I know we, talk, we talked to um, Monica Gonzalez from ESPN about about a month ago, and she, and she was saying, you know, the one, the one big advantage that we have as far as the national team is concerned is the, the size of the player pool. And you know, and this and this is to me, it's not only a benefit for the national team, but also for this league as well. I know, and, and to me, also one of the big the big pluses that the NWS is doing is the fact that you've got all the virtually all of the three major North American nations national teams in this league, and the federation are paying for them, and it makes for at least, and not only in terms of the quality of players that are in the league. But also from a business standpoint, does having all these national team players, not just ours, but Mexico and Canada, does that help in terms of, of how the standard of play and helping you uh, progress as a player? Almost oh, definitely, because it makes the league like extremely competitive. Like, because having a player like the national team players of all the nations, like to be able to kind of set a tone, and because they play at the next levels, as you would say, that we are at. So the high, they play the highest level, you know what I mean? So they kind of help set the tone for the league, really. And, and individually and however many players are on each team, they help their team set a tone in how they want to play and the, the speed of play and the intensity. So it helps to have these types of players in the league because it, it only um, enhances our play and hopefully gets our play closer to the men's level. Which means, which means people, more people will watch. Now, I'm going to go into a little bit of a, a might be a delicate area, and I'm not, I'm not trying to offend you in any way, shape, or form. But if you feel like maybe this is something you don't want to discuss, I, I understand. I'm not trying to <clears throat> insult you at all. But, but I, one of the big issues that I that still exists in, in women's sports is, is, is frankly the, the sex appeal angle. And and I'll explain my stance for it. I feel, let me put it this way, 
if there were a position of czar of women's sports for, for, for North America and I had that position, I'd say no to all the, the sex appeal angles that a lot of female athletes engage in. And, I, and I'll tell you why. I, I don't think it sends, first of all, I don't think it sends the right message to young girls. And I know that's very important to all of you in the NWSL in terms of your show, setting example for, for the next generation of kids coming up. And, but the other thing is, I don't think it's the right kind of attention that you want to draw. See, and I was right. talking earlier with Steve. I was talking earlier with Stephen. One of my great pet peeves in life is that to me, sports are not entertainment. And one of the things in entertainment is anything for publicity. And unfortunately, we've seen too many female athletes in many sports say, well, I don't care. I'm going to do this anyway because it draws attention. Well, it draws, first of all, to me, it draws the wrong kind of attention, number one. Number two, it's, self, it's a selfish act. And this is something David Whitley wrote about on AOL Fan House about three years ago. He did a column right after... Danica Patrick had announced her move into NASCAR and about that same time, Pat Summit, the legendary Tennessee women's basketball coach, announced she had early onset uh, dementia. And he compared how the two of them succeeded in their businesses. And he, po- and he pointed out, you know, when a female athlete goes the sex appeal route with the photos or whatever, it's selfish because it's only draw attention to them and it's only about what they look like. And it has nothing to do with their athleticism or their accomplishments or whatever team or sport they're playing. And I, I know I know that, like I said, I know there are some that do it and feel like it's worth it. But I don't agree. I don't think I don't think Hope Solo being in the ESPN the Body magazine practically nude yeah. <laughs> one fan more to NWSL. And if they did. It's not for the right reasons. You know, as I said, well, I've said this before as well. I am a man. I understand how men think. And I understand that a certain percentage of men in this country will not pay any attention to women's sports because they view it as a bunch of ugly, insert your preferred derogatory term for gay women here. Okay? I get that. I'm not saying it's a justified opinion because it's not. And I know some people, there are some people taking the approach, and because of that, we've got to change their minds by showing that we, can be, that we can be attractive women as well as athletes. And I'm not saying it, they're mutually exclusive. You know, it's like the old beauty and brains argument we've heard for a long time. But, so that's, that's my viewpoint of it. I'd like to, if you have one, I'd like to hear what you would have to say on that. Um. Well, personally, <laughs> I was actually just going to use Hope Soul as example from the ESPN body issue. <laughs> Funny that you said that. <laughs> but because <laughs> I was a little taken back by that as well. But, I mean, I understand it only for a marketing purpose, only because, I mean, I don't, I can't say, like, oh, I would or wouldn't, but I think it's the intent. Like, you intend to cause attention for yourself, yes, I think it's selfish, you tend to cause intention, uh, attention for yourself to kind of say, hey, look at me, like, I'm an athlete and I'm pretty, you know, I'm not, like, like, because we have this fear, I think, as women, like, athletes, being good at a sport means you're 
you know, for lack of better words, a lesbian what? or whatever. And again, you know I, what and I, mean? again I, I, real, I realize there are people who think they're mutually exclusive, and they're not. I mean, you look at Alex, right. there's no denying she's an extremely talented athlete. You know, Correct. you obviously are, too. You wouldn't be playing for Chicago Red Stars if you weren't. Hope Soul is a very talented athlete, too. I'm not denying that for a second. I'm just, you know, I, I, just, I just don't think the celebrity, anything you know, with the angle is a good thing for the sport. I want women as, I, I want mean, women as I agree. I athletes. agree. I don't, think, I don't think we as women or whoever represents us kind of understand how to market women. You know what I mean? How to sell yeah. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Because I also, because I also, because I, yeah, I also understand the other angle, and this is as you talk, you talk about the marketing thing, and I and I understand another angle out there, especially when it comes to endorsements and advertising. I understand, and I'm, I don't agree with it. I think it's wrong, but you know, Stephen is a big fan of Amy Wabak. He knows the family a little bit. He grew up in the same area, but let's. I understand there is a reason why you That's see like Alex Morgan commercials, but not yeah. There's a reason why you see Alex Morgan in commercials by yourself and not Abby Wambach. I understand that. Yeah, I know exactly. how marketers think. I work in the media. And, again, I'm, I, it's wrong, I think. I don't agree with it, but I re, that, that's the reality of the situation. And, and I'm not trying to, to say blame the victim here because, first of all, there is no victim here. Nobody right. – you know, I, I have never heard of any female athlete who was dragged off the street at gunpoint so hey – Get in the shower naked in this commercial you're going to be doing, or we're going to blow your brains. That doesn't happen. I'm just, right. I'm just saying. There's, I'm just saying. There's a better way to do it. Uh, well, I, I mean, I agree. I agree. And I think it's kind of like what sells right now, what's quick, what's fast, what can keep you in the limelight. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying that Hope Solo shouldn't have done that. I'm not disagreeing with whatever she did at all. I'm just saying since we're using that as one of our examples, like it may not, some people it may be attractive, but you don't want your your 12-year-olds and 10-year-old girls looking like, oh, you know what I'm saying? That's what, I, that's what I'm going to do yeah, when I grow up. And I'm glad you made that point. I, I, I brought it up to you. This is, you Because know, that's our demographic, really, the young, right. the young girls, you know. Yes. It's just we're, we're stuck, especially you know, in the last you know, 20 years, we're seeing more and more evidence that when girls play sports, it's better for them in terms of their lives. They're making, they're making better decisions. They do better in school. They're making better life decisions in terms of relationships and choices that they make in terms of their lifestyles and things of that nature. We're seeing that being in sports helps them. It makes them, be- makes them better in terms of their life skills going forward. And to, to be able to, and to me, to, you know, it's something that should, that should strongly be emphasized when we talk to these girls who are 8, 10, 12 years old. It's like you know, my, my son plays uh, in upward soccer, and it's co-ed. The girls play along with the boys. And I think it, it's a wonderful thing at that age for both boys and girls to learn that, hey, you know, I think on the field you're judged on what you do. Period. Right. That's all there right. is to it. And to me, that's the message that should be sent. Judge, judge these women as athletes and nothing more. Entertainment, right. yes, looks are a large part of it. I understand it's a looks based. Mm-hmm. I get that. But sports are not entertainment. And, it's, and I'm glad to hear you say you know, some of the things you said. I'm glad you're willing to express your opinions on that as well. We do appreciate that. 
Not a problem. Well, it's, it's such a touchy subject, but I, it's kind of yes, like it I is. understand both sides of it. You know what I mean? I understand where they're trying to go, but then it's kind of like, well, who are we targeting? Who's our demographic here? You know what I mean? Well, and, that's the, and that's the reason why they brought up, obviously, your perspective. You're the woman. You're the one who's more affected by this. Yeah, I understand right. my point of view, and I understand how other, women, how other men think, but I don't get your point of view. I don't see it from your point of view. That's, I've talked to a number of women who have been athletes, both even just at college level, you know, professional level, and many of them say, hey, I don't have a problem with it. I would do it if, or I, so in one case, I have, the, the woman told me she had done that sort of thing. And so you know, I, want to, I want a better understanding of that. Now, Stephen, I know you were ready to jump in there, too, with something, so go ahead. Well, I, I want to thank you, Sam, for being on. Um, where can we find you on Twitter? Okay, my Twitter name is Dream, D-R-E-A-M, the number 16, and then Marie, M-A-R-I-E-E, Dream 16 Marie. All right, got it. I will yeah. be following you shortly. <laughs> and I'll make sure, and I'll make sure to... And where are you guys playing next? Um, after I actually just take a game my game. <laughs> I'm only focused on this weekend's game at Toyota Park. I apologize. Well, well it's quite a cha- uh, you've got quite a challenge coming up, having to take on uh, Carly Lloyd, Abby Wambach, and Western New York Flash. And they, uh, they look pretty impressive in their first game. Uh, be a tough yes, they like did. Them. Yeah. So we're, give, we're giving well, you a chance to be prepared. Well, I want to Sorry? thank you for being on, and, and the next time you get to see Ruben Tish, tell him hi from us. <laughs> okay, well, thank you guys for having me. Right, well, you're very welcome. Glad you can make it on, Samantha. All right. All right, that was Samantha Johnson from the Chicago Red Stars. Um, that, that was kind of that was kind of interesting. I mean, I, I was going to butt in on that, but you guys were on a roll. Um, I, as, <laughs> I, as we have said, as we have said many times. As we have said many times, and I actually don't hold it, my my sister is the better athlete in the family. I mean, she she's still a better athlete than me, than me. And she already had she had one kid, so that's, that's kind of scary. Um, hey, that, believe, I, I, hey, believe it or not, believe it or not, that might have something to do with it because I I remember reading if you would remember this, you probably heard the name Mary Decker, the distance runner back in the 1980s, the one who was yeah. stripped by Zola Bund in the 1940s. Okay, I remember reading. Her, she, this was, this was, at, she had had a kid at that point, and I remember we a quote from her that, that she, she had felt like she was a better athlete afterwards, and she had said that no race or training she had ever gone through was as difficult as going through pregnancy, and that's why she felt made her a better athlete. Uh, coming from someone who still holds a boatload of American women's distance running records, I'll take that as a strong endorsement. You know, if she's going to say that as a world-class athlete, I, I'll buy it. No, no question. I'll Didn't buy it. Flo and show if him? she says that made her a better athlete, I'm convinced. Didn't I say Flo that? Joe I'm trying to meet her in a complimentary way. Didn't Flo Joe have a bunch of kids in between her? Um, no. She had, a, she, had one. she had one. I'm pretty, I know she had one. I'm not sure exactly how many. I'd have to look that up. But uh, she, I know, I'm pretty sure she had one uh, one uh, child at, at some point uh, in time. If I can, if I can click on the right site, no, it's W for Wikipedia. You dingling. <laughs> well, so, uh, that, that, yeah, I, 
that was fun. I mean, one of the other things I did want to talk about today, and I, I do kind of want to get back to the whole media thing, but um, are, would it be surprising, and we know tomorrow that um, MLS is having this massive announcement in Atlanta that Atlanta uh, is coming in. Now, would it, wouldn't it be fun, wouldn't it be funny if the the the, um, the announcement in in Atlanta is about the team in Miami? <laughs> no, they're still going to work at the stadium issues. It's funny you funny you mentioned the uh, a group of fans uh, in Atlanta. They call themselves Atlanta FC on Twitter. I can't remember the exact Twitter handle on here. They just started following me yesterday. If any of you people out there listening. Or, that, or the uh, Atlanta, the ATL wants MLS Twitter. Any of you listening, we'd love to have you on. Any any of you representing your groups, we'd, we'd love to have you on. We'd like to talk about it. Cause as, as I said, we talked about this last week. I'm skeptical uh, about this. I really am. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I, I desperately hope I'm wrong. I hope that Mr. Blank makes this a big success. But we'll ha- we'll have to wait and see what what happens in terms of, of what they do. Uh, and how they treat this, and you know, they've got you know, they've got the stadium plan pretty much in place. I'll be sure a new open air stadium with the Falcons, one that's scheduled to open in 2017. But yeah, Miami still Miami, and people forget Miami. That's not official yet. They do not have their franchise yet because they don't have their stadium plan in place yet, and they're still working on it. Bex is still down there uh, schmoozing all the politicians, the big leagues, and everybody else. And he just got a, uh, a spanner in the works last week when uh, the port, when Port Miami announced they would not be removing uh, some kind of structure. They would not be spending any tax money to remove some kind of structure, which would pretty much make it impossible to build a stadium there. So uh, it remains to be seen uh, how long. But the, believe me, I, I guarantee you, Miami will get their team. It's just they'll give Bex all the time in the world. They'll give Bex enough time to where his youngest kid is ready to play in MLS to get that team going. But he'll get his team. They'll give, it's just, they'll give him all the time he needs. There's no question. They want him in the league. And as I've said many times before, if I'm sitting behind Don Garber's desk, I'm doing the same thing. I want him there. That name means something in this league. It meant something when he played. It's going to mean something here in terms of ownership. Obviously, he's not the money man behind it all. But having him in, in that position is good for this league, and it's good for the game. And so it will happen sooner or later. Well, which which is great, and I, I, I hope it, I hope it comes I hope it comes on. But we all know what, what they we all know what they're doing doing they're just seeing this for um Calgary or Winnipeg i mean that's what, that's all that's going to happen with this. <laughs> i mean i'm sorry I, I had to say that I'm i was that got, i was surprised you brought that up. i was like oh yeah cuz i cuz i remember the, I, I vaguely remember the atlanta flames you know, I, I was uh I, I was always a big i was a big hockey fan even well before 1980 cuz i know i know for a lot of people of my generation, that was February twenty second, nineteen eighty, is when people became hockey fans. But not me. I was, I, I would go to see uh, the old World Hockey Association Cleveland Crusaders back in the nineteen seventies. I saw, I saw Wayne Gretzky and with made Mark Messier when they were playing in places like Indianapolis and Cincinnati, crying out loud. 
Well, speaking of Indianapolis, I don't know if you saw this. This is something you weren't even qualified. I did. You, you haven't even seen. Did you see what, Did you see what the Brickyard Battalion has been looking for recently? No, I, I know they had a pretty good crowd for their first game, but uh, which was impressive, which I'm glad for. Yeah. That, I I think I figured out a backdoor way to get you to working with a team. And don't worry, okay, nothing I'm, bad. You're going. You're, we all know you're a singer. Yeah. The Indy 11 need a national anthem singer, and they're willing to give oh, really? the person a jersey. They're willing to give the person a jersey to sing for them. Like, oh, what the hell? Keith is close. Keith is close enough, and is a singer. We could have. We could have. They could fly him out there on Peter Wolf's private jet. Yeah, Mr. Wilt does know who I am. You know, we've been we've been acquainted for some time. Yeah, because <laughs> I remember you know, talking to him about uh, you know do, about uh, you know broadcasting with the team and stuff. And he you know, he said he, he and both he and uh, Derek and the others told him pretty much, well, you know, we you know it'd be we not nothing personal against you, but you know it'd be nice that we wanted this to be a local thing. We we prefer to have somebody local. And I understand that angle. No problem. I just figured. What harm is there throwing my hat into the ring? None, especially with a guy who already knows me and, and realizes I, I, I'm not just you know, doing it on some lark. I do know what I'm doing in, in that respect. But yeah, that, that was very fun. I, I mean, obviously, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm not Wayne Mesmer by any stretch of the imagination. Or uh, <laughs> what was his name, Rodriguez, the uh, New York City police officer who uh, became so well-known for saying God bless America after 9-11. I think, I think his name was Rodriguez. I'm not 100% Paul Rodriguez. I'm not 100% positive well, the, on that. The Tampa Bay Rowdies had John Cicada doing theirs this past weekend, and I think... Um, no, no, not I, bad. Not bad. Yeah. I, I, when, I, when I saw him come out, I'm like, he's still singing? I mean, I didn't want to. I didn't want to sound obscure because I kind of know. I, I've been talking to the um, rowdies for a bit, and I'm like, wait a minute, he's still about. And I, I was I was gonna I was gonna call my um, contact with the Fort Lauderdale Strikers and see see who they had. I mean, maybe they maybe they won't dig up the whole Miami Sound Machine or the Miami Vice Machine or whatever. Yeah, well, he's only whatever. a couple years older than me, and he used to he used to work with Gloria Stefan for a while. So, hey, you never know. I mean, then, well, hey, you never know. Back in my Cuba, remember? Yeah, um, yeah. They're both. I do want to kind of. Yeah, I do kind of want to piggyback on something. We, we were going to talk about Hillsboro a little bit more. Um, I'm couching some of the stuff I could say on this because I've already done um, a couple of years ago on um, Eric Bash's previous radio station. He was um, Simon Allen, Bob Longton, and I did a um, whole hour and a half of the Hillsborough disaster. We had we had a guy on from Rutgers that that had actually had had a friend that was there, but that wasn't in the area for. Wasn't in the end for Hillsborough, and this was right around when they finally released the uh, the real report that was behind everything. Um, I'm going to try to watch as much of it as I can because obviously the the one problem I have with this, uh, granted, Hillsborough was a massive disaster, and nobody should go. Nobody should go to a match and not come back. I mean, there. 
Right. Hill, guys, Hillsboro is not the only disaster that has been out there. I mean, it goes back well into the into the 1940s with the um, with Burden Park disaster, or 1971 with Rangers. They've had it too, and yeah, it's uh, and, and Ibrox fell apart. See, what set this apart was the aftermath and the actions used to, to try to, to cover up the truth. And there's one angle I'm hoping it's uh, gets talked about here. Now, we all know, you know afterwards, things were done wrong, mistakes were made, and cover-ups were engaged in. And the simple fact is a, a cover-up like this, it doesn't matter whether it's Hillsboro, uh, steroids in base, any of your NCAA recruiting controversies, Penn State, the main benefit that's to be gained by people who engage in these kind of things is self-preservation, or more specifically, job preservation. So that, that explains what happened in terms of the police and everything else. And, we all, and, and that's pretty much, that's been gone over many, many times before a people far better qualified to talk about than me. What I'm interested in tonight watching this film is the media angle, especially the sun. The sun came under a lot of criticism for basically taking what they were being fed by all the authorities and saying, here's the story. It, it was so unlike what is normally seen from the media in these kinds of situations where uh, you look at, now I'm not saying there's a comparison here uh, it, as far as anything being covered up is concerned, but you look at the Malaysian Air Flight MH370, you look at all the media stuff going on. Martin Savage, in particular, CNN, is doing all kinds of stories in terms of trying to figure out what could have happened, what really might have happened, and, gain, and, things, of, and things of that nature. Normally, the media are all over trying to find out, what is this really the truth? Is this what really happened? And it, this, the Sun, in particular, really never seemed interested in that. And I'd love to know why. Because it's, it seems to me, what is the, what's the, benefit, what is the benefit to, basic, to basically covering for the authorities? I, that's the part that, it is, that has always mystified me about Hillsborough. Why would the media simply take what they were being said and present it as truth without doing anything in terms of investigating on their own? How do they benefit from that? It seems to me, if anything, they're hurt. They, you know, it turns out later they did hurt themselves by not doing that. But, but again, it's not like, I mean, it's not like there's, I can't imagine they were, you know, in any, you know working in concert with any of the authorities as far as that's concerned. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But that's, that's one thing I'm really looking forward to seeing from this movie, if nothing else. Well... Sorry, I had the phone next to my head. Well, um, without getting too political in this, because this is towards the end of Thatcher and all of that. I mean, I, I, can go, I can go into deep, and I, he knows what I read in my spare time. I'm not surprised the government covered this up, and I'm sure, I'm sure you could talk on this side of the country with stuff that's been covered up for people in the self-interest. I mean, this is Hillsborough is one of those things that. It, with a history degree I've seen over and over again. The big people are looking out for the best of themselves, and they don't want anything bad on them. That's just, that's just what society is. And I'm not trying to sound negative on that, but 
as I get older, I begin to realize that it, we didn't really leave the monarchy. Monarchy is our government, and our government, our government and governments are only in it for themselves, right when they will say when they go for re-election. And we're coming up to another cycle about that in the United States, and I'm about ready to never vote again. With the, I'm not going to get too political on here because Keith and I, I have a sneaky suspicion Keith and I do not share the same beliefs on it. Stuff other than soccer. But that's the trade about America. We can disagree on these things. But you bring up a good point there because you look. There's a very recent example. I'm not talking about government to say, but we have a very recent example of what happens when you do the right thing and you take more of a long-term view of what's going on. Target. Look what happened to them with the, with the breach of security and all those credit card and debit card numbers. Look what they did. They were proactive in, first of all, admitting they made a mistake and going forward and trying everything they could to make sure they put it right and to make sure their customers were reassured that we were not going to allow this to happen again. Yeah, they took a hit on it in the short term, but you look at it now, they're not getting bashed in the media. They didn't take any real beating from the public or anything like that because they realized, hey, if we do the right thing, eventually we'll win out. Another example that I was, I was talking to my wife about this last night, this is my, before your time, but Tylenol. You know why we have all these medicines, have all these seals and caps and everything, all this other protective wrapping on us? Because of somebody at Tylenol, putting cyanide into Tylenol pills and people dying as a result. The company immediately took steps to, to change things, to put more security in place in terms of not just the, you know, the manufacturing, but also the selling of the product. You have the seal boxes, the seal bottles, and everything else. And yes, it hurt, but the company now thrives today in the result because they were upfront and forward-thinking and honest about saying, yes, this was a mistake. We're going to try to correct it instead of trying to hide what really happened. And to me, you know, this target thing happening so recently, a big deal, you would think people, somebody, people, whether it be business or government or whatever the case may be, would learn from this sort of thing. That, you know, if, if, you know you, people talk about institutions all the time and how corporations are all corrupt or government's all corrupt or whatever. Well, guess what? Those institutions, whatever they may be, they're still comprised of people. And it's people who are, who are fallible. We're all flawed human beings, and some people do either make mistakes either unintentionally or intentionally. And whether it be a government, a corporation, or an individual, the, the lessons are there that show you, yes, you, if you admit wrongdoing from the start and say, here's what happened, we screwed up, I screwed up, whatever, Long-term, you're going to take short-term, but long-term, you're going to be better off. The lessons are there over and over again on both sides, and, but there are people who still ignore them. And again, you, you, can't, you can't blame some nameless, it's easy to blame some nameless, faithless monolith. But you can't, it's, it's hard to look at, you look at individuals, to find individuals who are involved because you don't see them, first of all. You're second, again, you, 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 a lot, there's a lot of people out there who really take, you know, corporations, businesses, governments, what have you, lump them all in the same box. And I was, I was tweeting about this a couple weeks ago. Um, I'm not sure what the subject was. I can't remember. It was when we were talking soccer leagues and things like that, and, you know, of that nature. Uh, and I said, and I said my, the main point I, I told them I wanted to make was I refuse to paint any individual 
or any organization of any kind as being either completely 100% evil or pure Caesar's wife. Because it's not possible. Because no human being is perfect. And whatever entity you're talking about, it still comprises of human beings who make mistakes and do wrong things. And that's just, that's just the nature of these things. And you know, the lessons, again, the lessons are there. It's just a question of are the people in charge going to learn from those lessons? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Whether it be Hillsborough, Target, Penn State, what have you. Exactly. Um, we're coming up to the bottom of the hour, and in the next four minutes, Keith and Carly Lawyer go toe to toe. Well, not quite toe to toe. I mean, I know she. I know she'd get a ball or two past you anyway. Um, oh yeah, we, we you, have. She could dribble by. She could score me blindfolded. <laughs> I always. I mean, people will always ask me, you know, if I've ever played professionally, and I say no, I never did play as a professional, but I have played against professionals. I did a lot in the 80s and early 90s, and believe me, as I taught, I was um, when I was working for a company, we had our own soccer league uh, in Dublin, up northwest of Columbus, and we were playing uh, one night. And after after us was top men's league, and there were some guys who had played uh, in the NP, the indoor national professional soccer league in the mid 1990s, and they they recognized me because they I'd been I was in that league for a couple of years, and they said, "Why don't you come out here and play with us?" And I told them, guys. There's a reason why I was upstairs in the radio and TV commentary booth and not on the field with you people, okay? <laughs> I could talk about the game a whole lot better than I can play. Of course, my my future teammates uh, on my Monday Night League, I'll be starting in two weeks, might be shuddering at that spot. Probably Lloyd could go out there blindfolded and embarrass me without any problems, I'm sure. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I'm surprised with some of the cocky strikers there are out there if someone hasn't tried to slip a blindfold into their socks or anything to do that on the field, there's yeah. enough cocky strikers. I mean, I wouldn't oh. bet I would have put a past Zlatan to do that. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up. Like, I'm going to say, to, I know you're not going to like me for saying this, but I think as you brought up, watching Liverpool and Manchester City, Luis Suarez is not even cheap. It's a oh god, yes. sent off it's, it's, oh, yes. it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those bad American ideas that we have now exported, which is if you do the business on the field, you've got a lot more forgiveness for what happens off the field. Digging dives, we'll overlook that. Biting a guy during a game, okay, we'll let it slide. We'll leave you guys contracts, et cetera. Racially abusing a black player, We'll stand behind you and wear T-shirts in support of you. As long as he rolls the ball over the line 20, 30 times a game, all is forgiven. And we see that here in America all the time. And so, as I said, I know you're a Liverpool supporter, and, it's been, and they've been a terrific team this year. They're going to win the championship. Uh, Brendan Rodgers proving to be a very good manager. Steven Gerrard, as I said before the show, is everything a captain should be. Uh, but Luis Suarez is a diving cheat, pure and simple. And he does, uh, it's uh, I'm, I, I know in South America it's been endemic to the game for forever. I, I know that, but still, this, this guy, for him to not only take dives, and here's the part I didn't get. Why did, if the referee didn't make, call them for fouls, which he did in all three instances, he clearly did not give the foul, why is he being booked for diving and it's sent off? If it's clear he didn't go and did, he went down on his own and took a dive, why doesn't the referee have the cojones to send him off? That's, see, that's the problem, because these referees, 
Referees sometimes are too timid to make such a decision. And it's something we've talked about before, this idea that's out there that a lot of fans have, and especially in a game like soccer or hockey where there's so much more subjectivity in, in, in officiating. Where no, the no, Keith, Keith, can, I'm going to surprise you yeah. with this. I don't disagree okay. with you on um, Suarez. I actually don't okay. disagree with you on Suarez. So well, let's step back and say that. Second of all, you, you're a Manchester United fan. You can't say that all of your guys are choir boys or have been choir hey, boys. I'm not, not, not going to say. I'm not, hey, Wayne Rooney has gotten away with some stuff in the past. Paul Scholes certainly had a reputation for, be, for uh, getting away with some things. Uh, we're doing something. Well, I'm not going to deny that for a second. Not at all. And you're not. We're not going to sit here and say that Stephen Gerrard is a choir boy either. So let's let's put it out there. There's a lot of people out there that are lying and cheating. But anyway, we've got we've got our next. We got our next. We got our next guest on. She, she's from she's from the women's national team and the WNY Flash. I want to welcome Carly Lloyd onto the show. Welcome to the show. Come on. Welcome to the show, Carly. Hey, thanks for having me. Hello, Carly. Glad you could join us here. First first of all, I want to thank Laura Dohansky uh, at your office for helping us get this set up and for her patience uh, with all the emails that you exchanged. We really do appreciate her help as well as your willingness to come on. Uh, We were talking earlier... Yeah, well, we were talking earlier to uh, your opponent uh, this week, your opponent this weekend, uh, Samantha Johnson from uh, Chicago Red Stars. Um, the first thing I talk about is with Western New York Flash, a very impressive start to your season uh, to, uh, to open last weekend. Uh, how did you? Uh, how do you feel going into the season uh, before, before the first game? And uh, how do you feel now that you've had a, had a really good first game to start out the year? Yeah, I think it was a it was definitely um a great win for us. Um, you know, obviously kicked off in the right direction. Uh makes things, you know, a lot smoother going into the next game. Uh obviously we want to take care of business against Chicago, but a very promising start. Uh Vicky Losada, a Barcelona star, uh did really well in her debut and we had some players step up. Um and you know, there's obviously some things that we still need to work on and iron out, but it was the first game of the season, and uh, I'm looking forward to to the rest of the, the season. Yeah, there's an old saying in sports, a team usually has most, most improved between games one and two. So if that's the case, your team is looking very good right now, and it has to help having a, a top-flight European player come in like that because this you – know, Right now, at least, there aren't a whole lot of them in this league so far. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, Aaron Lines does a great job of uh, really putting together some some quality teams. I mean, it's obviously been proven over the years with all the championships. Um, so it's it's a lot of fun because he likes to play good soccer. He likes to for us to combine on the field. Um, and just have some different personalities. So it's it's pretty cool uh, to get to play with some of these Spanish girls um, along with a lot of the other girls on our team. Most of the girls uh, I am familiar with from last season, um, but we do have some new familiar, uh, unfamiliar faces this year, uh, but everyone has, has come in and, and done a really good job. Yeah, you can do worse than tap into that Barcelona influence. That's for certain. 
Shifting years over to the national team, uh, obviously qualifying for the next, for next year's World Cup is going to start soon. Uh, you'll have a new manager, obviously, for that uh, at some, whether it be uh, you know, Julia or somebody else. So obviously, that has yet to be determined. But you know, aside from that, uh, what do you think is going to be? Who do you? What team do you think will be uh, your biggest challenge in terms of, of qualifying for next year's World Cup? Um, I mean, it's it's kind of tough. Obviously, Canada's already field their spot since they're hosting. So there's going to be, I believe, three and a half spots available. Um, so there will be some, some new teams that will be able to qualify for the World Cup since they're adding some teams as well. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of tough to say. I mean, Costa Rica's done pretty well. Um, Mexico, you know, always poses uh, a difficulty with us. Um but not really sure of the schedule and who we'll be facing. Um, but it's always, a, you know, good opportunity to play. I think we'll play five games, so it'll be a good opportunity to play five games and um, get that done and, and then focused on the World Cup itself. So you, t- you talk about Canada, of course, it's been a great rivalry, much, much like you've seen in, uh, on the hockey side of things. Uh, do you think the fact, obviously you're not going to play them in qualifying, what kind of an impact will that have as far as, as the United States team is concerned, uh, especially, you know, obviously you get your biggest challenge from them uh, in terms of this part of the world. Uh, will that, how, how much of an impact uh, could that possibly have, not only with you, with you not having to play them, but maybe some of the other countries you mentioned, like Costa Rica, Costa Rica and Mexico? Yeah, I mean, I'm honestly not sure, um, you know, what's what's going on with the games, um, you know, and who will be playing who. Uh, I'm not really sure. I mean, obviously, um, you know, I'm not really sure if Canada will even be in the mix playing those games. Um, you know, so what we've actually been very familiar with Canada. We've, um, you know, played them numerous amount of times. It's become quite a rival. Um, but it's, it's always good to step out on the field and play different countries because they each play differently and have a different style. So it's good for us to kind of get used to how Mexicans play um, versus Costa Ricans, um, you know, and, and, and other teams as well. So um, it'll be interesting, and we're all looking forward to, to kind of just getting it done. Well, you, meant, you mentioned Mexico a couple times uh Last couple of answers. You obviously have a large percentage of the Mexican national team playing in NWSL, and I realize playing at a club level is not the same as playing the national team. But does it help at all playing against them even during the summer at a club level to, to gain a little bit, maybe a little bit more of that familiarity that you uh, that you talked about, or maybe learn something that maybe you didn't know before because it's been a while since you played them. Uh, not really. I mean, it's it's kind of a different ball game in the international level. Um, I mean, we we're familiar with these players, even if they weren't playing in the league, because we've kind of faced them over and over again throughout the years. Um, but you know, it, it's at the end of the day, it kind of matters what we are doing on the field as a team. Um, we you know don't tend to get too caught up in in some of the personalities on the field. I mean, obviously you have players like Sinclair and um, Dominguez on, on Mexico, 
we had Veronica Perez play for us last year. So, you know, there's some, some good talent. It's good to have them over here playing with us. And, um, you know, it's just kind of fun to, to mix and mingle with different international players. Well, now I want to step back in time a little bit. We brought up the 1999 uh, World Cup with Samantha and uh, You've got a little more of a direct link for that because you know now I play for the national team with the fact that Christy Rampone is is the last player left from that. I'm, I'm sure, obviously, that team was a big influence on you. Was there a particular player on that team who made you sit up and say, "Yeah, I want to be like her. I want to do what she's doing out there." I mean, there were a lot of different personalities. You obviously, you know, oh, kind yeah. of both heard. <laughs> Heard about um, Mia Hamm and Julie Foudy and Brandy Chastain, uh, but for me, you know, those are all some really, really great players. Um, but I think Michelle Akers didn't get the recognition that she necessarily deserved over her career. Um, I think people realize now how much of a legend she was on the field, and um, you know, she was just a true champion and really enjoyed her play and, and watching her play growing up. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned her because you know, before Mia Hamm became Mia Hamm, she was the star. She was the biggest thing. She was the face of the team, but at the time, nobody really knew her. And, I, I'm, and you mentioned your personalities on that team. I think one of the great things about the film, the 99ers, that brought that out was all the players speaking so highly of Michelle in terms of not only her play, but her leadership on the field. And uh, then, of course, the, the flip side of that film was uh, it did reveal the personalities. I mean, some of we already like Julie Foddy, but some of the others, like, like Mia Henry, she always came across in the media because she, she didn't really, wasn't big on be, all that attention that she got because and she said in the film she wanted to be about the team and she understood she was representing everybody. But you got to see a little bit more of the real Mia Hamm and I, and I know a couple people have said uh, since her marriage to uh, Nomar Garcia Parma, the former Red Sox shortstop, that she, she's changed a little bit in terms of, especially now she's retired obviously, her you know, her personality is a little more uh, obvious these days. So there's uh, and I'm sh- I'm sure on the national team you get some of that as well. And and speaking speaking of which, I, you you got some great teammates on the team. Whether whether it be Abby Wambach, uh, Megan Rapino, uh, Hope Solo, Alex Morgan, a lot of them. But is there one player on the team who has a skill or something that they do that makes you look and say, "Gee, I wish I could do this." On my team, or yes. I mean, I kind of just focus on myself and kind of what I do, but obviously, you know, some some tricks and things on the ball that players like Tobin Heath and Megan Rufino do, um, you know, some of the stuff they do on the ball is, is pretty awesome uh, to see and to watch. So, you know, our, our team is full of many different personalities and people can do different things. Um, but, you know, and, and you can learn from, from that. Um, so it's definitely cool to see. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Megan Rapino, and I did deliberately too, because I, I think in a way she, she can be, she doesn't play like Michelle Akers, obviously, but, but in a way she can kind of like it to her. I think her role in the team is very underrated and sometimes underappreciated. I mean, I still, 
I, I, you know, the, the ball she served to Abby Wambach uh, to get the equalizing goal in the World Cup semifinal, you, you, most players, you put them just standing in that spot when they give them 100 balls, when maybe you get 10 of them close to that spot, she's making a 30-yard sprint and serves that ball to that far post exactly where it needs to be for Abby to run onto and, and head in the equalizer. This, Megan Rapino brings to me brings a lot to this team that a lot of people really don't uh, have a great appreciation for, and uh, I'm glad she was able to, and I'm sure you were too, uh, even though she's going to be playing against you in the league, to get be able to get out of her contract at Lyon and come over to play the last couple months last year and now play the full year uh, this year for Seattle as well. So, um, listen, Carly, Carly Lloyd from the U.S. National Team Western New York Flash, uh, we thank you again, and thank, again, thanks to Laura Dalhansky for making this all happen for us. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to come on. Uh, we wish you nothing but uh, the best of success both uh, in the NWSL this year as well as going forward into qualifying with the uh, national team for next year's World Cup. We, uh, we, we greatly appreciate you coming on with us. Thanks. Appreciate it. No problem. Carly Lloyd from the U.S. Women's National Team in Western New York Flash graciously joining us here. So uh, two NWSL players in one show. We're uh, definitely... Uh, you know, trying to ramp up our uh, how much we talk about the the women's game, and uh, you know, as I've said before, and I mentioned there I, uh, earlier with Samantha Johnson, this is the NWSL setup with having the, the, the three major federations of Concacaf paying the national team players to stay home and play in this league, and most of them are to me constitutes the best possible business model for this league to be able to not only continue on a long-term basis, but hopefully grow and become more successful. It would be great to have more situations like uh, Houston with the Dynamo coming in and bringing on an MWSL team, uh, as well as Portland with sharing ownership as well. Uh, I really hope this is, uh, this is a long-term thing and that this will be uh, the league that girls who are you know, right now 6, 7, 8 to 10 years old can aspire to one day join. Yeah, I would hope so too. Uh, I want to get back to something we said before before Carly Lloyd came on, and I want to thank her for uh, staying with us and wor- working with us because we had her scheduled for a couple. We had her scheduled for while I was with my father, and she was fortunate that something happened or whatever. Um, you said something before the interview, and I want to get back to it because Russ has also said this. You said this, and maybe this is my paranoia. But you both have said Liverpool are winning the title. Now, ne- neither of you yes. are Liverpool fans, so maybe you're coming at this a little bit more biased. And I'm also going to be, uh, let's also be honest, you guys are 10 years older than I am. Well, Russ is here a little bit. But the only thing I see that coming up that scares me in all of this, now that Jordan Henderson out, is out, is Chelsea. That's the only game I see coming up scared because we all know Chelsea when Norwich comes. Chelsea, right now, Chelsea are not an issue. The, the only thing that derails Liverpool is the fact that Manchester City have two games in hand. Manchester City is a bigger is a bigger threat to Liverpool winning the title than Chelsea are. Chelsea, Chelsea's results last the last few weeks have been bad news. They go they go to Swansea City. 
They go up a man after 15 minutes. That means they get 75 minutes with a man advantage, and yet it still takes them until the 88th minute to score a goal. The losses to lower-to-level teams in recent weeks, Chelsea are not an issue for Liverpool. Unless Liverpool really take a, a, a just go into the tank, I, I mean, literally try to lose on purpose, but unless Liverpool really stumble badly, they should have no problem with Chelsea at all. It's Manchester City having those two games in hand that's the bigger than Liverpool. As long as Liverpool do the business the rest of the way out, they will win the title. And they, they, but, you know, a stumble will hurt them, yes, because of Man City having the two games in hand. But as long as they do the business, Chelsea are definitely is. As long as they do the business, Chelsea are definitely not a threat. Manchester City could still maybe overtake them, depending on other, you know, their results and Liverpool's. But believe me, Chelsea are not the threat to, to Liverpool right now. I just don't see. I just don't see that happening. I think, you know, Jose Mourinho. Right. I, I told you this before uh, in emails. Right now. If I had to pick, without knowing who's in the team, if you said, okay, you have your choice of managers, Brendan Rodgers or Jose Mourinho, I'm taking Brendan Rodgers, sight unseen, no matter what the team is. Jose needs another year to get this Chelsea team back to where he had it before and where he had it at the beginning part of this season. Chelsea are not Liverpool right now. Yeah, and he has said that before. Now, okay, coming up for Liverpool is... You've got Norwich coming up. You've got Norwich, Man, um, Chelsea, and I, I think there's one between this. And then the final game is the, the final game is um, Newcastle. Coming up for Man City is Crystal Palace. Their next game is Crystal Palace, Everton, Aston Villa, and West Ham. I see in that only one chance they can lose, and that's Everton. And that's a maybe. Well, as, uh, that, that's, that's, you're probably right on that, and that's another reason why I think Man City are the greater threat, because they, we've seen Manchester City, they've taken care of things with these lower, with these lower tier, with these bottom half of the table teams, whereas Chelsea have not. And yeah, that's that's that to me is the big difference right now between Chelsea and, and Manchester City. It's uh, neither one is what you call a really difficult schedule. Yeah, and again, Manchester City certainly have the advantage with the games in hand, but we have not seen them stumble against bottom half of the table teams like we've seen Chelsea doing in recent weeks. Now, okay, coming up for let's see here. You know, you know. I wish these. Um, okay, let's see. It's it's Man City uh, for Liverpool's coming up is Norwich, Chelsea, Crystal Palace, and Newcastle. Crystal Palace could be a little trickier. They've they've shown a little bit recently, and they and you know, when you're dealing with a team that's in a relegation fight, yeah, that's that's. Uh, that's always a difficult proposition uh, in this case. Again, if, they, if they do the business right, they shouldn't have. Certainly Chelsea by far the toughest match of the three. There's no question about that. Yeah. Newcastle, uh, it might depend on where they stand in the table uh, by then. But, yeah, Chelsea, Chelsea is a challenge. Norwich, Norwich is definitely one you don't want to overlook, but it, 
but like Man City, we've not seen that from Liverpool. Liverpool have not have been able to not get caught in a trap game situation. Uh, this like we've seen Chelsea uh, do in the la- in the last few weeks. So I, I yeah, there are some tougher fixtures. Uh, there, there's a couple of difficult fixtures that, for them, but as long as they continue playing the way ha- they have been, I don't see them having a problem. Uh, although you know, Chelsea, like I said, Chelsea will be in a couple of three. Now, with um, Jordan Henderson being out, are you worried with any of those three coming up? That could be an issue for the Chelsea match. Um, the others, I don't think as much. I think you know, not having a key player uh, that has meant as much to this team as he has. When you play somebody at your level like Chelsea, it makes more of a difference than if you're playing uh, you know, a team in the bottom half of the table. Uh, you know, again, though, when you, you know, going as a team that's fighting, for, uh, fighting to stay up, that's, uh, that's a little bit different proposition uh, opposed to uh, uh, Chelsea's situation. Although Petr Cech says you know, the pressure is all on Liverpool. And in a way, he's right. Because they're at the top of the table. It's theirs to lose. They should win it, uh, the, 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 you know, the, especially the way Chelsea has stumbled lately. But, uh, yeah, not having Henderson, I think, will, will be, should only be an issue for the Chelsea match. I don't think that will be as big a problem uh, for the other two games. Now, fortunately, next week, I know we have a um, member of the, of the family of people we call in that is interested in a topic you know well about. But we, he doesn't know who we have coming up. We have a, someone we've been caught, trying to get on, and we, we want to have a – it's not quite an issue show we're having next week. It's We're trying to poke the bear of soccer and see what happens. Um, soccer Sam, I don't know if anybody else has heard of him. He, do, he does um, – well, I'm going to like allow you to do to describe him because I think next week is going to be kind of fun, actually. Yeah, well, soccer says Sam uh, Fantuso. He's the uh, owner of the Rochester Lancers, uh, which plays in the major indoor soccer league, which uh, right now is is more or less on the edge of collapse. A few teams from that league, specifically Missouri Comet, Baltimore Blast. Uh, have reached agreements to join the Professional Arena Soccer League. It looks like we're very, very close to having a, finally just having one indoor soccer league. However, um, yeah, Syracuse, Syracuse Silver Knights are the other team. Um, right now, the Rochester Lancers are out of contract in terms of their agreement with the United Soccer League, which is the owner of the major indoor soccer league. The, you know, Syracuse, Baltimore, Missouri were also out of contract, and they have officially left. Now, the, right now, there are, still, there are three teams under contract to play in the 2014-2015 season, Milwaukee Wave, Pennsylvania War, and St. Louis Ambush. Uh, the latter two are owned by the same person. The league's agreement with the USL has a requirement that says they have to have at least six teams. Now, Rochester right now is out of contract. They have not yet decided uh, whether or not they're going to uh, sign up again. Uh, they, uh, and uh, San Francisco is uh, right now uh, in a, 
position where he's trying to decide which way he's going to go uh, as far as that's concerned. And once they, uh, I'm looking at this article here. It's, it's posted on the Lancers website. Um, there was a uh, there was something about a there's something mentioned here about a statement from the USL. I'm going to try to pull that up here uh, as soon as my computer cooperates with me. I think I have too many, I I have too many windows opened up here. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you've got too many things to do. That's the problem. Well, we're coming up on the last five minutes. I also want to um, point out. I, I showed up while we both were going to show up, but Keith is in the, in the um, technology stone age, as we were describing. I was on top of the table on Sunday at 6.30. I want everybody to go. I've watched. Everybody, I want every, ah, let me slow down. I want everybody to go on, on Google and go to topofthetable.tv. It, it's the um, first thing you'll see, and... Watch them. Uh, Brian and Mark Vila had me on. They're also the show that has um, Sarah Wilson, the Hulbert, on. Um, the, the, we we went around talking about MLS. It was really the first time to step out of my con- conference zone. I, I want to thank them for having me on. And hopefully, one of these days, when the when Keith gets out of the Stone Age, we can we can move him to more. Yeah, here, here I yeah. I know it's funny. Here I am on Twitter and Instagram, and I have all my friends who are my age, whether it be people at the high school with or my friends in the all-higher youth choir, they look at me like, you're on Twitter? As if to say, don't you realize that you can't be older than 35 and be on Twitter? (laughs) (laughs) I got got an Android phone, all of a sudden, but I realize I don't have the capability to do live video conferencing with my phone, and I don't have a webcam. I've never had one. I've never needed one. I felt like Billy Crystal running scared when Billy, when uh, Gregory Hines says, "Why is there uh, uh, Billy Crystal says, Why is there ever a cop when you need one?" And Gregory Hines says, "I never needed one before." You know, I have well, no idea a webcam. But we want well, to thank you guys. If you're saying you're yeah, too so we want to thank you guys if you're, from the Top of the table to have us on. But I want to. I also say, if you're saying you're too old, you guys are too old for Twitter. Then what the hell is Joe? What the hell is Young Christ? Because you're much younger than he is. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I, I just I think it's a good thing for me to do. I think it helps in terms of getting my game out there and stuff like that. I, but but it, it's not it's not as common for somebody to say over the age of thirty five to be on Twitter uh, as it is for under thirty five. And I think like I said, and like I said, a lot of friends who are my age are are surprised by that. Um, but the, I did find the MISL statement. This was back. This was about a month ago. Uh, that. Now, among the things, as they say, uh, this is a quote here, according to the MISO is undertaking a process of comprehensively reviewing all aspects of the property, including membership, competitive product, and economic model. And um, it goes on later to say that the MISO refuses to compromise or otherwise relax its standards or shortcut to increasing the number of teams in the immediate term. Uh, and, contra- and to the contrary, believes that this is the proper time for ownership standards to be increased in order to best position this league for long-term success. And if that, if that means it becomes necessary for us not to have a 2014-2015 season schedule in order to ensure that, ensure that we can fully complete a process of rebuilding a strong and committed membership of ambitious team owners, then that is a route we are prepared to pursue. Again, that's a quote from the MISL. This is a statement they issued about a month ago, and this is what uh, Sam Fentuzzo is responding to uh, because right now, even if he stays with the MISL, 
the MSL makes it clear, they'll take a year off if they have to. So now Soccer Sam uh, has to make the decision. Does he stick with this? Does he re-up with the USL? Or does he join Syracuse, Missouri, and Baltimore and go to the PASL? Hopefully next week uh, when he's on the show, we can get some sense of that from him. Uh, he's certainly a very colorful character. I had uh, I loved his uh, outgoing message when I reached him by phone. Uh, guy, guy clearly lo- he loves the game, full of enthusiasm, really. And uh, that's, I think we're going to have a fun time uh, talking to him about the future of indoor soccer. I mean, ideally to me, the, yeah, I thought it, it was... Originally, when the USL bought the MIS, I thought you know maybe they could you know keep the, you know make this grow, but it really hasn't. It's been pretty stagnant. They've had a few changes here and there. Um, I've worked in the PASL for a couple of years. I don't anymore. I should, I want to make that clear. And you know, it's not an ideal situation, especially mostly in terms of where teams play. Uh, unfortunately, the, the, the simple fact is there are not a lot of two to eight thousand seat arenas in this country. There really aren't, and that's what this league needs. Is a lot of, because it's the regional uh, uh, the regional approach that they have in the PSL is the way to go. You're not going to have a national uh, an, M- an indoor soccer league that is structured like MLS. It's just not going to happen. The indoor game isn't what it was in the mid-80s. The PASL business model in terms of you know, being regionalized especially, is, is the better approach uh, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, you know, we'll see what Soccer Sam has to say about it next week. All right. Well, I want to, I want to, I want to thank Holly Lloyd and, and Sam Johnson for being on the show. I want to thank Keith Kokinda for setting everything up. Next week is Soccer Sam, and we're going to have more fun. And hopefully, I won't start off the show next week with being too pissed off about soccer. <laughs> anyway, I will talk to you guys later, and see you guys next week. <laughs>